Hey folks, this is Brother Frank, and I just wanted to share with you about tonight's message. It's going to be challenging, and I'm not saying you have to agree with things, everything Brother Benjamin shares, but if you do not listen to this message all the way to the end, you will not understand what he's trying to share. I just want to put that in there because sometimes we listen to the first part of something and we don't hear the whole story. What an injustice that would be. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. All right, everybody, Brother Frank, welcome to another episode of the Remnant Call. Glad to have you here with us. Um, last week, we did not have a show, folks. Um, I told you in the past, I asked you about praying for my sister coming up, and we had family, and I just realized at that time, it was I needed to focus on my family and what was coming on here with my sister coming up. And I just want to say thank you all so much for prayers. It has been such a blessing to talk to her um, over three years. She's been sober now, and she was sharing with me some experiences she had had and this amazing, powerful experience in prison where this uh, thing where the ladies um, are brought together, uh, this event where all these other women come into the prison system, and they're praying for months before these women. And my sister told me that they just showered her with love like she just never knew. And, and folks, you don't understand what it's like to be loved. Maybe you do. But when you have been through a life of rejection where your own biological father rejected you, family died. It was just my sister's been through so much hardship. Um, she is my stepsister, but we've been together since little kids. I mean, and and to see that hear that story, it just reminds me how powerful the love of God is. She was telling me she'd been arrested over 50 times, and she was hiding in the trunk of a car, being driven around before she went into prison this last time, and, and what how bad it was. And, and she, I remember she said something to me very interesting, because folks, you know I've shared my life of drugs and everything, and I've been strung out on crystal meth and everything else out there under the sun, except I never got into heroin, and she told me, she said, 20 years of meth didn't even equal one year of what it's like to be on heroin. Folks, we are living in a society that drugs are literally killing. Heroines, opioids, they're all they all are heroin and opioids are the same thing. These these um painkillers, they all have the same root drug in them. And it is killing our society and it is time to wake up. We are in the last days. There's all kinds of stuff going on. God's Throwing the kitchen sink at it and saying, wake up, do something, be ready. This is the hour. And folks, with that, I've got a guest on tonight that knows about the hour that we are living in, is concerned about it, has been warning about it for over 20 years. And guess what? It looks like we are now at that time. So with no longer delay, Brother Benjamin, I'm bringing you on. Are you here with us? I sure am, or at least I hope I am. Amen. I can hear you loud and clear. Right on. Well, praise God. Right Thank you, hey, brother. That's a great report about your sister, Frank. Man, it 
it, Benjamin to hear the clarity, to see it in her face, you know, of years being sober now for over three mm. years. Yes, it helped me in prison. But when she but, shared um, with me about those ladies who went in there and just showed them love like these women in prison have never experienced. Right. And I saw that touched her in so deeply. I believe God is in the business of reaching anybody who wants to come in this hour, brother. If they want to come, the problem is not many want to come. And that's a sad, sad thing we're at right now. Brother, I know this has been on your heart lately. Um, You were sharing with me about the elect and some things going on, uh, Benjamin. And so with that, brother, I'm going to ask, could you just open this program up with a word of prayer tonight? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But before we pray... What is your sister's name? Well, I tell you, it's so unique. I would rather not say it on the radio because you could Google it. And, yeah, I'd I'd probably better ask. You can't even say her first name? Her first name is so unique. I'll share it with you off air, brother. It is so unique. There's not very many with that name in this country that I've – I only know one other person with her name, and that was her cousin. I was just going to ask everybody to keep her in their prayers, but we can pray for Frank's unnamed sister. Yeah, I appreciate that so much. Coming out of the darkness. Amen. Amen. Father God, I thank you that you do call all of your children out of the darkness. And you've come forth. You've come into our world. You sent Jesus to touch our hearts. Amen. You continue to reach out to lost souls, even in these late final hours. And, and Father, I thank you. <clears throat> I pray that a word of truth will come forth tonight. And Lord, I have no strength in me, so I'm going to rely on your power in this in this hour. And and Lord, collectively, we all stand in agreement with Brother Frank for his Amen. stepsister. Yes. Lord, that you do a mighty work. Lord God, I pray for a renewing of her mind. I pray that, you, Lord, you would touch her with your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that when she picks up her Bible, she would be able to see and hear the Rima Word of God. Amen. And, Lord, that your love would embrace her, that underneath her would be the everlasting arms of her eternal Father. And, Lord, that you would put your angels... Give charge to your angels to surround her in this time, and we come against all of the devices of Satan. Amen. We take authority in Jesus' name, and we lift up this sister. Amen. We bind every demonic stronghold. We command every demon that that has come against her to be bound, and we drive them out in Jesus' name. Amen. And I pray, Lord, that you would just set her on fire with your Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord, you would call her to be a voice crying out, sharing the same love that she received from mm. the true body of Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And, and Lord, use this program tonight also to bless your people. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. God bless you. I received that for my sister. Uh, this is the hour, brother. Preach, uh, share what's on your heart and uh, where the Lord's been taking you. 
Yeah, okay. Uh, it, well, it is quite the hour, isn't it? Uh, and, you know, at first I was praying about, you know, well, what should we talk about tonight? And, you know, and, and you know, on one hand I thought maybe the program should be titled February 2020 because we could go over the news, which is just crazy, right? We went from uh, the possibility of war with Iran in the first days of January to Australia burning, the whole nation literally burning down to, Frank, one billion animals burned to death in Australia in the fires. Mercy. Complete extinctions of certain species occurred because of the fires. Australia was literally burning. And then, of course, the, the weather, the earthquakes, the volcanoes, the dead zones in the ocean, the political insanity of the people, the madness of the crowds, the waves lifting up. And, and then we come into the end of January, and now we have a new bioweapon that's been released. And, you know, we started the, the year with a bang, with an assassination of, a, of an Iranian general and, and a threat of retaliation in the Iranian government, they put the, they raised that red flag of war, which is really the flag of revenge. And once that's been raised, they can't take it down until blood, the blood of the offender has been spilled. So, you know, Iran is basically taking the posture of holy war. The red horse is, is beginning to ride through the earth and and then here in early February, Frank, we see the black horse also putting its nose under the tent. And I know a lot of us had a paradigm where we see the scripture through the lens of assumption. And, and one of the assumptions is, you know, the white horse finishes its ride, and, and then the red horse comes. And when the red horse is done, the black horse will come. And when the black horse is finished, the pale horse hell and Hades will be released. But, you know, that was just an assumption. All four horses actually end up riding at the same time. The first one was the white horse. And, and they were perceived as a, a force for good. And then, of course, the red horse of conflict. That horse, as I mentioned, it's been manifesting on an interpersonal level for several years. People are offended Brothers, sisters, families, churches, neighbors, communities, and not to mention the political divide between progressive liberalism and, and conservative geo, you know, Judeo-Christian political views. They hate one another now, and the division is growing. And then now the black horse, pestilence, famine collapsing of the ecosystem. It's all manifesting right before our eyes, and, and it's astonishing. And, of course, the news out of China is that the situation is ten times worse than reported. And I received a phone call from, uh, from someone who had access to, to confidential information that the authorities have already concluded there's no way to quarantine this. It's already been released, and, and we'll see a series of waves, and we'll see how bad it's going to get. But, you know, here we are, knocking on the door, and the day of the Lord is indeed at hand, and are we ready? And I think that the answer for many of us is, well, no, 
Not quite, but we're trying. And, uh, you know, the trial of our faith is going to bring us to the, po- to the place of sanctification and holiness. You know, don't think this trial happened by some accident. No, this was the plan of the Lord to make the whole church, the, the true ecclesia of God, to make us ready for the wedding feast. Because, you know, the world is entering a time of, of incredible judgment, great tribulation, and then an eternal judgment will follow. But for the, for the remnant of God, who are the chosen of the Lord, we're going to go through a time of, of trial and tribulation that will affect every soul. But God, our Father, intends it for our perfecting. And the, the quicker we get on the same page with the Lord, the easier this process will be. And, you know, I just really, in my heart, wanted to talk a little bit about the elect. And I wanted to bring forth some scriptural truth that would comfort the remnant of God's people, that would comfort the true believers who have trusted the Lord. And no, we're not yet perfected. We're still walking through the trials that are, that are refining and purifying our hearts. But we're holding on to the Word of God. We're holding on to our faith in Jesus. And, and the reality is, at the same time, the Lord is holding on to us. And underneath each one of His precious ones, the everlasting arms of an eternal Father is holding us safely in His hands. And so, I just wanted to share some scripture that would be encouraging and, and, and strengthening and, and bringing joy in the midst of the trials to the true children of God. Because it's the desire of our Father that we would walk in, in faith and we would be filled with joy. But in order to rejoice in a time when the whole world will shudder in fear, we need to have our, our hope and our faith established firmly on the true Word of God. And I'm talking about the Rima Word, not the letter of the Word, because the Spirit gives life, but the letter killeth. And so, I want to speak to some of the scripture regarding God's elect. The word is appeared, and it means the chosen ones. The ones who have the high favor of heaven. The ones whom the Lord looks down and said, Those, that one is mine. The ones who have been adopted and are now born again and have been filled with the Spirit of God. And, and a new heart and a new creation has come within them such that there we are now the children of God having been reconciled to the Father through the blood and, and through the death of our Lord Jesus and, and having been justified we've also been raised up with the Lord in the spiritual context through the power of his resurrection which works in us to accomplish our salvation, 
according to the eternal counsel of our Father in heaven. So who are the elect? You know, who are these people that the scripture refers to as the ecclesia, the elect of God? Well, in Isaiah 42, verse 1, the scriptures of truth declare, Behold my servant! whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment unto the Gentiles. He will not cry nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He will not fail, nor be discouraged, till he has established judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. He will open the eyes of the blind, and he will bring the prisoners out of their prison. And of course, this elect servant that Father God is testifying of is the Lord Jesus himself. And you know, that's a, a interesting concept that that the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal begotten Son of Almighty God, himself was elect. What does that mean? Well, it's speaking of his humanity. When Jesus was born into the earth, he took on the, the actual garment of the flesh. He stepped down from the throne of God, ruling over eternity, and he became, he took upon himself the form of a bondservant, and that man, Jesus, was born into the earth, who happened to be the eternal Son of Almighty God. Yet he, as a man, was elect. God chose him for this purpose, that the life of the eternal Son of God would be born into the earth in the life of the man, Jesus. For he is both God and man. And in his humanity, he was the first of the many that were elected and chosen by our Father. And in the Scripture, we know that the, the sons and, and daughters of God who were chosen by the Father to inherit salvation were chosen in Jesus before the foundation of the earth. Again, we encounter the prophetic writings in Isaiah 45, verse 4, speaking of the elect. Now the Spirit of God testifies, Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my elect. I've even called thee by thy name. So Israel was elect of God. Jacob was elect. Abraham, Isaac, all of the patriarchs who were chosen. And Israel as a nation was chosen by God. Jesus himself spoke of the elect in Matthew 24 when he said, Except those days be shortened, there shall be no flesh saved. But for the sake of the elect, God will shorten those days. Well, the elect are pretty important in the mind of God. They are his children, and he's a faithful father. And on account of the elect, God is going to change the timing of the fulfillment of the prophecies of the end of the age, and he's going to shorten the days to protect his elect. If you can receive it, all that God has 
done in the creation of the world and in the creation of mankind and in his in his interaction his control over the history of man and ultimately the intervention by Jesus coming and, and offering his own life as a living sacrifice and then dying on the cross to bring the atonement for the sin of the people for the sake of the elect all of this was done by God for the sake of the elect the nations are as nothing before him and the wicked are wood chips blown into the furnace but the elect, they are the jewels, they are the precious hearts that are the reason why our Father did all of this. And it's the reward that Jesus will receive. His reward is he gets to save us. I think we got the better end of the deal, but God views his elect as precious in his eyes. He did all of this for their sake. So who are the elect? Well, they are the ones who've been saved. They're the chosen. They've been chosen to inherit salvation. They will live forever. They will shine as lights in the kingdom of our Father. And if you are among them, you will be there too. And we will rejoice and, and we shall worship and praise our God in the glory of his majesty for who he is and for his awesome works of mercy unto the children of men. In the beginning was the Word. The Gospel of John testifies of Jesus as the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word, who is Jesus, was God. Jesus was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. He even came unto his own, but his own people Israel received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name who were born again, not by blood, nor according to the will of the flesh, nor according to the will of men or of man, but born of God. Right there we see a profound truth revealed. Those that were born again, by the Holy Spirit, in whom a new creation has been birthed in the form of a spirit that is made alive unto God, cleansed from its sin, redeemed from the power of death. For the spirit in the natural man is dead, dead in trespasses, dead in sin, dead under the condemnation of God's righteous law, and dead under the dominion of the spirits of darkness that have taken humanity captive through the power of sin to do the will of the devil. But now God Almighty has come 
and by the Holy Spirit is communicated faith and life and repentance and drawing the chosen ones to the Lord as they cry out for mercy and for forgiveness and for salvation, the Spirit of God transforms their spirit and they become alive again, born again into a new creation, born again after the image of Jesus. And now their spirit man is alive and filled with the spirit of the living God. The wicked, they're dead. Their spirits are literally dead. Their bodies, the enemy calls them containers. Their vessels are typically filled with one or more devils. While their spirits are yet dead, they walk this earth blinded by the by the deceptions of the devil, unable to even apprehend or perceive spiritual truth. And if they do get a hold of spiritual truth, they can only perceive it through the knowledge of good and evil with all of its corruptions. And the very first corruption that the knowledge of good and evil wrought upon fallen men was the deception of denial. It's not my fault, it's someone else's. And so the fallen man who is dead in his sins, yet hears the message of the gospel and finds it suits him in some fashion, can join a church and never be born again. There are churches filled with the many who are on the wide road to destruction. The Master told us, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, many will seek to enter the kingdom, but they will seek through the wide road, through the natural way, through the way that seems right in the mind of the flesh. And it's a way where you can do what's right in your own eyes. You get to pick and choose what scriptures you want to use. There's plenty of false teachers to affirm you on the way. And there's multitudes walking with you. Clearly, all of these couldn't be wrong. But indeed they are. For the many on the narrow way have never known the Lord. He said in the scriptures, I'll say unto them, I never knew you. They were never born again. They had never received the new life. What they had received is a deception by religious spirits. It's the same as the Pharisees, whom Jesus said, Your father is the devil. They couldn't conceive of such a thing. In their natural mind, they were following the Torah. They were the ultimate Hebrew roots people. But their roots actually came out of hell. They were the sons of Satan. And ultimately, they conspired to kill the Lord. The children of the flesh always oppose the children of the Spirit. But the elect, they are born according to the foreknowledge of God. First Peter, verses, chapter 1, verse 2. Elected, according, chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God. And that word for foreknowledge, that is not gnosis. That word means relational knowledge. 
intimate knowledge, not knowledge of a name, but an intimate knowledge of one that is beloved. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit. Who are the elect? They are the ones who are being sanctified by the Spirit of God unto obedience and the washing of the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again. Okay, that word, begotten us again, it really should read, through whom we were born again. Because the begotten means to be born. And here it's born again. The second birth has come. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, who according to his abundant mercy has caused us to be born again by the Spirit of God into the beloved that are chosen in Jesus. How did we do this? Uh, well, we didn't do this. How did you do your first birth, Frank? Did you, um, did you have anything to contribute to your birthday on the day you were born? Other than you showed up and, and, and you got born. I pain for my mother. <laughs> yeah. It was a trial for your mother. But we had nothing to do with our first birth. Our, our choice, the will of the flesh, the will of man, the choice of men, the decisions of men had nothing to do with us being born into this world. God sovereignly created you, and he chose where and when you would be born. He chose every attribute about your life. You're fearfully made, but it was God who decided when you would be born. And where? What century? What country? What language? What IQ? What, what disability? What challenge? What family system? Would you have an abusive father that would put your life through incredible trauma? And would you, you know, or would you be born into a Norman Rockwell family? Right? I mean, we've all seen the pictures, right? There are people that were born into those families. There's a lot of people that weren't. God chose all of the details of our life. And it was the same choice by God. Who would be born again? And the, those that are born again are also chosen to go through a process known as sanctification, by which the Spirit of God works in you Obedience unto the will of God and the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. He has borne us again. We've been born again by the foreknowledge of God unto a hope that is alive, by the, that has been brought to life through the resurrection of Jesus. And in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, the elect, the chosen, are kept by the power of God through faith, unto salvation, which is ready to be revealed in this last time. Do you realize Peter was saying the true salvation of God, the, the power, 
of God's salvation, which the world witnessed in part through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The world witnessed it through the Holy Spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost. The world witnessed the power of God's salvation in part by the miracles that were being wrought in the and the authority of Jesus' name, but the true power of the salvation of God is not yet fully revealed, but it's coming. But we who are elect, we're kept by the power of God. Now, some people don't understand these deep mysteries of the kingdom, and some people are probably going to get mad at me on account of this message. Um, and that's fine. If you want to persecute me for preaching the true Word of God, I will receive that reward. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm here to bring the truth for the sheep for whom the Lord has chosen to receive the comfort of this truth. We are being kept by the power of God. Now, yes, we have to cooperate and you know, we all talk about free will, that man has free will, and, you know, that's... And in addition, man has free choice, and and man will also reap what he sows. You will bear the consequence of your choices, and, and eventually we will learn to choose well, because choosing poorly is really a bad idea. But the truth is, whosoever the sun sets free is free indeed. And until you've been set free, you're not free. You're under the dominion of Satan. You're under his deception. And you're under the dominion, the, the control of the sins that are in your life. And well, how did they get there? Well, some of them came through your bloodline. You inherited them when you were born. Well, how does that work? They pass to the generations. You can break them. You can repent of them. You can cancel generational curses in the power of Jesus' name. You can stand in the gap and repent for the sins of your forefathers, the sins of your family bloodline. You can repent of your own sins, too, if you've been born again and you've got the spirit of the living one inside of you. But all of these things are working against the children of this age. And until they've been set free by Jesus, they're not free. They're in the captivity of sin, and they're under dominance or, or, or the power in part of the devil. And that's the reason why they're blinded. God has to do a work to open the eyes. And the work of salvation overcomes the power of the evil one. And it's through the prayers of, of saints. It's through the preaching of the word. And it's through the power of God that any are saved. But having been saved, we are now kept by the power of God. You know, some teach that we have to keep ourselves, and that if we were to stumble and fall at the very end of our race, and, and heaven forbid would die with an unrepented sin, bang, we go straight to hell. Well, i got news for you guys. That's ridiculous. First of all, virtually every Christian has some level of unrepentant sin. They don't even know about generational sins. They don't know about sins that are so buried under the denial veil, you can't even see them. So, 
Our salvation is not dependent on us being perfected. How many Christians today are perfect? Yet we were commanded, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is our goal. That is the target. That's the course. That's the, the ultimate objective of our sanctification. But as David said in Second Samuel chapter 23, he said that I've received the everlasting covenant. This is my salvation. And it's ordered in all things, and it's sure. It's been established. The new covenant was done by God. The new covenant is a contract between Jesus and his Father, and it is established forever. And that is the source of our salvation. But David goes on and says, although he makes it not to grow, God leaves us not yet perfected. We still have a mind that needs to be renewed. We still have a flesh to overcome. We still have giants to cast out of the land. We still have to take the kingdom by force. We have a fight on our hands. And in that entire process, we work through our sanctification, and we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God working in us and through us at the same time. And that's a mystery cause many to stumble and get confused. But our ultimate salvation and the fact that our salvation is sure, as David testified in 2 Samuel 23, is because our salvation was established by the very power of God. He is the author of our salvation, and he is the finisher as well. We will finish well because God is finishing the work in us. Thank you, Jesus. Romans 8.33, who can lay any charge to God's elect? Who's going to accuse the chosen of the Lord? It is God that justified them. Well, Satan would try to accuse them. And, and the believers who walk under the deception of the knowledge of good and evil, they love to gossip about and talebear and slander the elect of the Lord because the devil wants to do as much as he can to bring a charge against God's elect but those charges are not going to stand up in the courtroom of heaven they're dismissed they have no standing because the elect have already been justified by God they are judicially innocent They've been legally justified by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, they're not yet sanctified, and the Laodicean churches really misunderstood the difference between being legally justified and being sanctified. But who will condemn us, Paul writes in Romans 8, 34? Jesus, who died for his very bride? rather was raised from the dead, and even now is at the right hand of God, making intercession for you? Do you think Jesus is going to condemn the elect who were chosen in him by the, before the foundation of the world, and he died for them? No, of course not. The Lord is praying for his elect. Father God has legally justified them. The Holy Spirit is working in your life to bring you to the place of sanctification. The only 
power that would try to condemn us is the devil. And all of the backslidden Christians who walk in the knowledge of good and evil that for some reason love to tear other Christians apart. Because that's the spirit of disobedience that is at work in so many lives who've not yet surrendered. They're still doing what's right in their eyes. Hallelujah. Happy is the soul that is possessed of a holy fear that drives them to their knees before the throne of God and causes causes them to ever depend on the promise of grace and upon a faithful God who having promised will fulfill his word who are the elect? They are the saints who have been chosen by Almighty God unto sanctification and salvation. And they are the ones who walk, who choose to enter through the narrow way, who walk the narrow path where denial of self and picking up a cross is a daily requirement. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren. You are the beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you through sanctification of spirit, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, and the belief of the truth unto salvation. So who are the wide roaders? That's, that's what I call them. The people on the wide road. The people who will seek to enter through the other way. Well, they are not born again. They are people who have a mental knowledge of Jesus. They've heard the gospel, and, you know, it sounds pretty good. You know, punch my fire insurance card for me. Or they've, they've looked at the, the church, and, and they've looked at, the gospel, and they thought, hey, that's a good business. If, if I tell these Christians, give me all your money, a fair number of them will. And I can be flying around in a private jet, and I only got to work a couple hours a week, and right? They've made merchandise of you. Or they're people that wanted to believe but never really received the new life so all they've received is a version of Christian doctrine through the knowledge of good and evil, but their, their understanding is darkened because the sin nature is yet alive in the spirit of the man, so they tend to pick and choose what scriptures they'll use. They deny their own sin, and then they want to judge you. And a fair number of them want to be prophets or pastors or teachers or bishops. And a lot of them want to speak words over you. They want to put themselves up and put you down. Get away from them, children. They are not of the Lord. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. You know, we wonder how could so many cults flourish, right? I mean, there are entire churches. And today, most Protestant churches are basically so apostatized from the faith that 
they too are basically the congregations of the dead. And so all across America, a huge swath of our population attends these churches where everybody's dead. They're all on the wide road. And they're all headed to destruction. Because they have never been born again. And that's why Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. It is of the elect that the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. To the apostate Christian, the Lord says, I never knew you. My spirit never was in you. My father never brought the new birth into your life. You were not chosen in me before the foundation of the earth. You're just one of the many who came with hypocrisy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has borne us again, has brought us the new birth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The grace of God which is given unto us without measure, does not annul our responsibility to obey the Lord, to forsake our sins, to pick up our cross, to deny ourselves, to fast and pray, to gather in solemn assemblies, to preach the word in season and out of season, to give unto the poor, and to seek the face of God, to pray daily. No, the grace of God does not annul our responsibility to do any of the commandments of the Lord, but the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit equips us to accomplish God's will through the power of His Holy Spirit. Jesus said to us, apart from me you can do nothing. Without the Holy Spirit, without the power of God, we can do nothing of, of value in the kingdom of God. So what's going on in the congregations of the dead? They're doing nothing. It's worthless. It's tohu and bohu. They're having their Halloween harvest nights, and they're, they're having all their little church functions, and, and they're really just living a life in the flesh with a belief system that they've plagiarized from the writings of the scriptures, but they themselves know not the God of the scripture. And yet they do know his word, many of them. And the truth be told, they are the ones who will receive the many stripes, having known the master's will, but refusing to honestly approach the throne of God. The ones to be most pitied are not the people in the dark of Africa who never heard the name of Jesus, but they are the deceived souls that are still under the captivity of sin, that are walking under the knowledge of good and evil, and have fashioned for themselves a form of Christian religion that has actually been created by the religious demons right out of hell. And they indeed are going to perish. Don't take my word for it. The Lord said so himself, as clear as day. Many will seek to enter through the wide road, 
people will not be allowed. They will not enter the kingdom. What a tragedy. Now, perchance the word of truth would come upon such a one. If in their heart they be pricked, if they cry out, Lord, save me, if they seek him suddenly with all their heart, the scripture promises that God will hear them. God's election of his chosen ones has kept no man out of the kingdom. The offer of salvation went forth to everyone, but only the elect were broken-hearted enough to fall on their knees and weep for the throne and say, God, I'll do whatever I need to do. Please save my soul. Only the elect were willing to humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. The others, the ones on the wide road, they'll be offended at you for such a thing. They already repented. 1979, when Billy Graham came to town. And who are you to tell them they need to go to a solemn assembly? I mean, that's really the difference, folks. They're the Pharisees of our generation. I want to share a story about that right there real quick. My father's pastor for years, and I remember when I was a young kid, powerful preacher, but about he hit about 65, 7 years old maybe it was. Later in life, my dad moved to a different state, ran into him again. He shared with my dad that he had not ever been born again till he was in his mid-60s. My dad was kind of taken back at first because he always regarded him as such a powerful speaker and a preacher and everything. And, and he was sharing with my father how he had this revelation about the righteousness of Christ and not his own. And he learning how to wear his robe and not his own. And, folks, the reason I say this is because even at the mid-60s, later in life, you never know. That's why I tell people, don't ever give up, because you never know when the word of truth will open somebody's heart. This was a pastor in the pulpit, and not till his mid-60s was he actually born again. It was powerful. Shook my dad up, too, hearing the story from him. And it reminded me, Benjamin, we talked about if at any time it would penetrate somebody's heart. This man had the form of religion through all these years, but had never been broken and born again. He was preaching, even, the Word of God. And doing very well at it. Benjamin, I'm not kidding you. My father tells a story where the boy was demon-possessed, and the pastor was there, and they called out in the name of Jesus, because, see, folks, the name of Jesus is powerful and can cast out devils. And it wasn't, even this man, even being a part of all of this, didn't get born again until his mid-60s. Well, and, and Frank, that's the testimony that Jesus told us would be given on the Day of Judgment, when the many on the wide road would say, Lord, we cast out devils in your name. We prophesied in your name. We preached the word in your... I was a bishop, an apostle, a pastor, a prophet. And yet they did not know the Lord. They were not born again. And that... You know, the scripture says to make your calling and your election sure. 
not in God's mind, because God knows those that are his, but in our own hearts, that we would saddle the question, have we been born again? And, and, and the fruit of that is a changed life. And not changed with the knowledge of a new religion, but a heart that is changed, that has a new found love of the truth and, and a new righteousness. You know, the, the, the scripture tells us in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, he that began the good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And the one who began our salvation is God. If we've been born again, God has promised he's going to finish the work. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 14 testifies, Whatsoever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God does it that men should fear. And so it is with the salvation of his elect. God did this, and nothing can ever be added to it. You can't add the Hebrew Roots movement. You can't add the Kundalini anointing from the false prophetic churches. You can't add getting religious or legalistic. You can't add anything to the salvation that came by the power of God nor can you take anything away from it. You cannot take away the cross. You cannot take away consistent in prayer. You cannot take away studying the word diligently. You cannot take away the command, separate yourself, come out from among them. You can't take anything from the word of God, or you've deceived yourself. But what God does shall stand forever, and the truth of God in the life of his elect redeemed saints Nothing will be added to it. Nothing will be taken from it. For God has done it, that all men should fear before him. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. Having this seal, the Lord knows those that are his. And let everyone that names the name of Jesus Christ depart from iniquity. And if a man will purge himself from his sin, he will become a vessel of honor, prepared unto every good work. Romans 11.5, even so, in this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And if it's by grace, it's no more works. Otherwise, grace is not grace. And if it be of works, then it's not of grace. Because it would be a work. What then? Israel obtained that which it has not obtained that which it sought for, but the remnant has. The election has the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Only a remnant has been saved. Not only have the Lord's people always been in the minority, but they never included more than a fractional percentage of the earth's population. Only eight were saved in the time of Noah's flood. So too today, a remnant are a small fraction. Jesus himself admonishes us, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. And many will say to me that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? 
in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done wonderful works, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. The natural man cannot fulfill the will of Father God through the knowledge of good and evil and through the carnal mind of the flesh. The carnal mind of the flesh, the natural mind of man, will always pursue the will of man and not the will of God. They may prophesy. The natural man can prophesy. Oh, you, you hear them everywhere. And they can even cast out a devil, Frank, as you noted. And they can do many things that they would consider wonderful works. Yet none of those things are the will of our Father, which is in heaven, because in order for it to be the will of God, it must be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. The strength of the flesh is not accepted. The works of the flesh are not accepted. They have been rejected. They've actually been condemned. And we have been told to consider our flesh crucified with Jesus. Consider and reckon your old nature dead. You cannot do the works of the kingdom through the power or the strength or the mind of the flesh. It is anathema. And that being the case, the salvation of any soul is a miracle. When the Lord explained the difficulty of salvation to the disciples in Matthew 19, verses 25 to 26, the disciples exclaimed, Who then can be saved? If the natural man cannot do the will of the Father, how can any be saved? And that was their question. Jesus answered them and said, With man it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So the natural man left unto himself, it's impossible for him to be saved. Even if he gets a Bible, reads his Bible, and becomes a believer in the doctrines of Jesus and the doctrines of the gospel, he will form a new cult. It'll be a new error. It'll be a new kingdom of men run for and, and this kingdom will be organized around pride or the dominion over other people or the lust of money or some other vain, sinful attribute of the flesh. Because the flesh, you can only produce according to the seed after the kind of seed that was planted. And if you're trying to do the kingdom through the flesh, you're only going to reap a harvest of corruption. You're going to get a church where you throw the Word of God in, the, where, where they dismiss the Word of God. You're going to get a cult where they, where they trample the truth. The salvation of God's people has its origin in the unchanging love of God. We love Him because He first loved us. And in God's love, he will also do what is necessary to bring us to righteousness and to accomplish sanctification in us. The scriptures declare that God's elect, in the event God's elect sin, and, and having been set free, they now really have free will. The sinners that are under the dominion of Satan have free choice, 
and they get the consequence of their choice, but their will is corrupted by the sin and by the captivity of which they are under. But having been set free by the Son of God, whom the Lord sets free will be free indeed, now suddenly the, the new born-again believer has a free will. But with that free will, he can decide to go back out and, you know, check the world out again. And we've all done it. It's called backsliding. And when we do, we get the fruit of our ways. And we find out, usually sooner than later, it's a very bitter lesson. Because God says, if they turn back away from his perfect, his perfect will, he will visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, the, the scripture testifies, God's loving kindness he will not take from them nor will he suffer his faithfulness to fail. The salvation of God's elect rests upon the immutable, unchangeable nature of God. God cannot and does not change. He declares, I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, the sons of Jacob are not consumed. Hallelujah. How, how are we for, for time, Frank? We're just at an hour. So are we okay for a little more? Yeah, a few more minutes, absolutely. Okay. Um, it was through the love of our Father God that we were predestined unto salvation. If the Scriptures did not declare that the salvation of the elect was predestined, no man would have ever written that into anything. Because the natural man rages against the thought of a sovereign God who can make a vessel of clay, one unto honor and the other unto dishonor. But yet that is exactly the message of Scripture. Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places according as he has chosen us in Jesus before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. So how are, who's going to accuse us? What, what is going to condemn us if we have been chosen in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world with the express purpose of God that his elect would be holy and without blame before his throne because they've been washed by the blood of the Lamb and having predestined the elect unto the adoption of God's children by Christ Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his perfect will. Who purposed this? God did this. God wanted to do this. And so he did. And there's no one that's going to question the Lord and say unto him, what are you doing? The salvation of the elect who were chosen before the foundation of the world in Jesus in no wise keeps any sinner out of the kingdom. The door is wide open. Whosoever will come. You know, if you if you could see the 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 doorway to the kingdom of God in the spirit. If you looked over the door, inscribed are, are the scripture promises. Whosoever will come, who will ever call upon the name of the Lord, 
whosoever. And as you walk through that door and you turn around and you look at the other side of the door from the kingdom and from eternity, inscribed over that door would be the words, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. So only the chosen choose to walk through that narrow door. And everybody else, they, why bother? So if anyone is troubled, wondering, have I been chosen? Listen, if you were among the wicked, you would either say, who cares? Or, of course I'm chosen. The goats are all convinced they're sheep, and the sheep are all afraid they might be goats. So if, if you're fearful, if the revelation of the sovereignty of God and the salvation of his people troubles you, then call upon the name of your Father. Seek his face. Fast and pray. Separate yourself. Turn off Babylon. Turn off the television. Turn off the satanic music. Turn off all of the unclean things that are that are wrestling or, or, or chiding your soul and rest in his unchanging love. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But we have to repent. And the saints are all sanctified. Now, it's a process that takes a lifetime. When I first got saved, there was a lot of things that I was struggling with that God has brought the victory at this point in my life. And in some of those sin areas, it took years. And in each of our lives, there are yet other areas, the matters of the heart, where maybe we haven't fully overcome some of the forgiveness issues, some of the emotional trauma, some of the wounding, some of the lies that were spoken into our lives that need to be renewed and washed out of our minds. The process of sanctification is the process of our lifetime. But praise God, the scripture testifies in Ephesians 1.13, in whom, speaking of Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, in whom also you believe. Then you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of God's purchased possession, under the praise of his glory. So when you trusted the Lord, and when you repented, and you received the gospel with joy, and you gave your heart to the Lord, and you believed, at that point you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And God put a a seal in the forehead like you would put a seal in the wax on an envelope. And in that seal is his name, and it reads, this is my purchased possession. And believe me, the enemy sees that seal. And that's why, if you're part of the elect, you've had nothing but grief from the world, because they see you coming. But that seal, which is the Holy Spirit of promise, is the earnest. It's the down payment. It's the deposit. God said, I'm buying this one, and he put money down on your salvation. And God does not cancel his escrow. When the Lord begins the salvation of one of his children, he completes it. Now, can a saint shipwreck their life? Yes. 
the brother, the the believer in, I believe it's Corinthians um, 5, where the man had been in, in such sin, and, you know, Paul was just, like, fit to be tied. And um, I believe it's 5. five. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Where, where Yeah, it's first. First Corinthians five five. Paul said, you know, that in the name of the Lord Jesus, you know, I'm going to deliver this one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. You know, this was a believer in an assembly that was in severe sin, and Paul's judgment of the matter was to pray to turn this person over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh, literally the, the loss of their life, that their spirit might be saved. This believer who got snared in a severe sin lost their life, but they didn't lose their salvation. But they could lose their reward, that you can lose your crown, you can lose your peace, you can lose everything else. There's nothing in the world worth playing with. And we've all learned that lesson. The salvation of God's elect is based on the everlasting covenant that God made. He declared in Jeremiah 32, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I'll put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. It is of the elect that the Lord said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We know in Romans 8, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he knew them beforehand. Those whom God knew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. And moreover, those who he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. They're legally set apart exempt from the judgment on account of the death and sacrifice of Jesus. And those whom he justified, he will ultimately glorify. What shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will lay anything to the charge of God's elect? I'll just finish with these words of Jesus in John 17 in the Lord's final prayer. He read, you know, the Lord prayed, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy Son, and as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Jesus was given power over all of humanity to give eternal life to as many souls as the Father had given to Jesus. And Jesus goes on and says, This is the life eternal, that they might know thee, not just believe in the, not through the knowledge of good and evil in the teaching of the New Covenant, but to actually know God and be known by God. Jesus says in verse 6, I manifested thy name unto the men which you gave me out of the world. Thine they were, they were yours, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. He goes on in verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for the ones you have given me out of the world, for they are yours. Jesus isn't even praying for the world. He 
He's only praying for his elect. Our election and salvation has been assured if we are truly born again and have been and have received the Holy Spirit. We can truly rejoice because our names are written in heaven. And here is the encouragement to the believer that is struggling. Nevertheless, we must follow the admonition and instruction of the Master. We must seek His strength. We must persevere. In prayer, we must put on our spiritual armor. We must resist the temptations of the devil. We must fight the good fight. We we never surrender. We take authority over the world, over our flesh, and over the devil. And having done all that we can do, we must stand in the authority of the name of Jesus. The doctrine of election of God's saints is clearly taught throughout Scripture, although it has been perverted in many churches. It's derided by many Christians. People think they're somehow protecting the sheep by trying to teach everyone that any one of us could literally stumble at the end of our, at the end of our race, fall off the narrow way, and end in hell. But this is not true. Those that have been born again belong to the Lord, and God will bring us through. Divine grace brought true salvation to a human soul, but its, its evidences are a person who learns to deny ungodliness and the worldly pleasures, and one who strives to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present hour. Amen. Amen, folks. You gotta. This has been a challenging message for some, you know. And pray through it, and read, and study what the Word says. The Bible says clearly in the end of the book of Jude, unto Him that is able to keep you from falling, and present you faultless. Isn't that a wonderful promise, folks? That God can keep you always in His ways. That's the kind of assurance we need in a dark world that we're in right now. So often, too many people believe that they mess up, and now God hates them. Yet the Bible says, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Why would you think for one moment that when you messed up, that all of a sudden now he hates you? What a terrible testimony again about our God to, to somehow believe that that's the way he feels. Well, folks, God is in the business of saving. And as Brother Benjamin said, if anybody comes and calls upon the name of the Lord, you know, it, it, the door is open. And so, folks, we need to keep reaching. This is the hour. And, and then as believers, rest knowing that our God's got our back. What a wonderful thing to wake up every morning and knowing I am in the Father's hands. I'll tell you what, there's not much more in this earth that you can find comfort in anymore. But knowing that your salvation is sure with God, now that's something that I can rejoice in daily. Benjamin, God bless you. Thank you for sharing tonight on the Remnant Call. Thank you, Frank. God bless you as well, brother. God bless you too. Folks, this is Brother Frank and Brother Benjamin on the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom. Lord, trumpet in Zion, sounded 
Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.